Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Good morning. Welcome to Silverdale Baptist Church. It's so awesome to see all of you here worshiping with us today. I'd like to welcome all of you here at our Bonnie Oaks campus. I'd like to also welcome those of you at our Creekside service, North Udawa campus, or St. Elmo, or any of you that may be worshiping online. I'm Tony Wallace, one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege today to share with you God's Word. So this is what I encourage you to do. Go and take your Bibles and open up in the New Testament to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. You can turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Got a smartphone, you can open that app to Hebrews 11 as well. And then do this, take out these Bible study outlines that we provide for you. We provide these to you so you can follow along and take notes as we study God's Word together. As most of you know, we've been studying through the book of Hebrews, and we've been in chapter 11 for several weeks now, and chapter 11 is the faith chapter. Chapter 11 is the the chapter that basically lists all these incredible Old Testament saints and how they walked with God through faith. And what we've been learning is that they endured a lot of difficulties and trials, how? Through faith. And so we're going to learn how to do that. In fact, we're going to learn some faith lessons today from the end of Hebrews chapter 11. But let me start with an inspirational story. His name is Jake Olson. And Jake, um, raised in a Christian family, but one year old, they discovered cancer in his eye. And so they knew that they had to remove one of his eyes. I mean, that's a picture of him and his twin sister when he's one, years old, one year old. And so they remove one eye, and everything seems to be fine, but, you know, a few years later, they're having trouble with his other eye. And they treat it, you know, each year, but by the time he's 12 years old, um, the doctors say, you know what, the cancer is now in your other eye, and we're going to have to remove your other eye. And so at the age of 12, Jake knew that he was going to be blind for the rest of his life. And so the parents asked him, they said, okay, Jake, you know, what is the last experience that you want to experience that you can see? And he says, I would love to go to a USC football, Trojan football game. They lived in Southern California, and so they said, okay, we'll try to make that happen. And so um, word got to the, um, the, the head coach of the Trojans at the time, Pete Carroll at the time, and he said, not only are you going to come to a game, I want you to come every day to watch our practice. And then during the game, you know, he actually ran through the tunnel on the field with the team. He had VIP seats on the sidelines hanging out with the players, and then they won. And then afterwards, he said to his parents, he said, you know, I'm just so thankful that my last experience was seeing you and my sister and watching the Trojans win. He was a real fan, right? And so, you know, everything's great. You know, he loses, you know, his other eye, so he loses his sight. Um, But he pressed into the Lord. But he also, during that time, he, um, 
He, he said, you know what? I want to play football. Now you go, how does a blind person play football? Well, he starts practicing, you know, basically being a long snapper. If you're familiar, a long snapper is that person that snaps the ball during extra points or field goals. And so he's practicing that over and over and over again. And by the time he's a junior and senior, he's starting on his team as a long snapper, okay? So he played on his high school team. And so he actually was really good. And so after he graduates, the head coach of USC hears his story and says, you know what? I'm going to do something that's never been done before in D1 football. I'm going to recruit a blind player to play. And so he recruits him. He has other scholarships, gets a scholarship to USC. And so um, he joins the team. Very first game of the season, it's nationally um, televised, September 2nd, 2017. USC is playing. They're winning the game in the fourth quarter. They just scored a touchdown. And who comes on the field to catch the extra point? I mean, to, to hike it. It's Jake. Check this out. Basically, what you have there, they're all set up, great anticipation. He hikes the ball, kicked the ball, the point is good, and they win. And they all mob Jake at that point, and people from the, you know, you know, the audience are going, Jake, 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 Jake. And he becomes a USC legend. And from that point forward, he continues to press into the Lord and grow in his faith. Now, the reason I share that story is because that's a great parable of sort of how God works. You see, God takes and he recruits people that are like us, the most unlikely people, people that may have flaws or struggles or weaknesses in our life or disabilities in our life, and God looks for people, ordinary people, to do extraordinary things in. And that's what we've been discovering in Hebrews chapter 11, and that's especially what we will be discovering in the rest of Hebrews chapter 11. And so what I want you to understand today is that if your faith is maybe, you know, a little down, you feel a little weak, or you feel inadequate in your faith, well, you've chosen the right day to come to church because I believe this is going to be a faith builder as you learn these four faith lessons. And so I want you to jot them down on your outline. The very first thing is this. Number one, first of all, God uses imperfect people who trust in him. God will use the imperfect people to trust, who trust in him. And that's what we've seen so much already in Hebrews chapter 11. Everybody that's been listed so far has some kind of flaws. That idea continues in verse 31. Look what it says. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, you may be familiar, in the book of Joshua, you have the people of God, they're going to enter into the promised land. Their very first city is Jericho. Um, Joshua sends in spies, and the spies are like, hey, we've got to find a place where we can stay, where people aren't going to be, you know, recognizing us, so they decide they're going to go to a prostitute's home. You know, strangers go in and out of there, nobody thinks anything of it. And so what happens? Well, Rahab realizes who they are, and Rahab says, you know what, I've, I've, a lot of men come see me, and I've heard the stories. I've heard the stories, I mean, of the great things your God has done. I heard about Egypt and the plagues. I heard about the parting of the Red Sea. I heard about all the kings that were defeated east of the Jordan. I've heard about the greatness of Yahweh God, and I believe that he has given the promised land to you. And so, I believe in your God. That was her declaration of faith. And so the spies said, you know what? If you'll do this, since you hit us, we, if, whenever we come and conquer this city, if you'll just take a scarlet rope and hang it out the window, whenever we come and conquer this city, we'll spare you and your family. 
And that's exactly what happened. Look what it says in Joshua chapter 6, verse 25. Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, her father's family and all that belonged to her because she hid the messengers of Joshua, had sent the spy on Jericho. And look at it, and she still lives in Israel today. You go, what does that mean? That means that whenever Joshua, the book of Joshua was written, she was still a prominent member of that community. Do you know whatever happened to Rahab? Well, she marries a godly Jewish man. And they raise a godly boy. You've heard of him. His name is Boaz. Remember Ruth marries Boaz? Boaz is Rahab's son. And then, you know what else happens? A few generations later, you know, they give birth to another boy named David who becomes king of all of Israel. And then a a number of generations later down that kingly line is none other than Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Do you see what faith does? Faith transforms our lives. She was a prostitute to where she becomes the princess in all Israel, all because of faith. What what am I saying? God takes ordinary broken people like us and does the extraordinary. And then it continues. Basically, we have listed here six faith heroes in quick succession with no commentary. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you about Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah or David or Samuel and the prophets. Now you go, who, what do all those guys have in common? They all had some kind of struggle in their life. Who is Gideon? Gideon was this guy, reluctant. God calls him and he goes, me? I can't be used by you, God. I mean, I'm part of the lowest tribe, <clears throat> the weakest family in the lowest tribe, and I'm the run of my family. I mean, God, you've chosen the wrong guy. But he by faith, trust in God, and what happens? God uses him to bring great victory in Israel. You know the story of Samson. God had given him this great strength, right? It was all because of a vow made by his parents that he would be remain set apart for the Lord and holy. He didn't want to live a holy life, and so what happens? He finds himself getting his hair cut in the devil's barbershop, and he cuts his hair, loses his power, loses his sight, right? But then at the very end of his life, what does he do? He finds himself between two pillars in this arena, and he says, God, give me strength one more time. And by faith, he pushes those two pillars down and destroys a lot of the enemies of God. What else do you have? You have Jephthah. Jephthah was the son of a prostitute. He was driven from Israel, comes back and becomes a judge and a great deliverer over the Amorites. David. David was a great man of faith, right? He he kills the giant Goliath by faith, but later on he thinks he's above the law by pride, and what happens? He commits adultery and then murder to cover it up. What about Samuel? Samuel was a very faithful. He was the last judge. He was the first prophet, and he was very faithful throughout his years, but at the end of his life, he made a mistake by appointing two of his sons to be judges, and both of them were corrupt and dishonest. The point is, is that every one of these folks, they were all flawed. And the point is for you and I, is that God takes flawed people like us and he still uses us. People that have brokenness, people that have weaknesses, people that have insecurities. God uses people, ordinary people, broken people, just like us. So what does that mean? God can use you. So do this. I want you to turn to the person next to you and remind them, God can use you. God can use you. God can use you, right? I mean, that's what God is saying. God can use you. In fact, notice how the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God's chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong so that no one may boast in his presence. You see, whenever God uses us, we can't boast. Why? We know God gets all the glory because we don't do this, right? I mean, God gets the glory because we know the weaknesses of our own life. And so what's the point? 
The point is this. If you're here today and you've ever been, you know, nominated or listed in who's who, or if you've ever won an MVP, or if you've ever got an advanced degree, here's the good news. God can still use you. It's going to be a little harder, but God can still use you. Because God specializes in taking the ordinary people and doing the extraordinary through them. That's the first thing we learn in Hebrews 11. Second faith principle is this. Jot this on your outline. Faith is God's means of deliverance. Faith is God's means of deliverance. What does that mean? That means that if you want to see God work miracles and answer prayers in your life, it requires faith. You've got to operate in faith. Notice what we have next. Verse 33, these, we don't have, you know, we saw six flawed people of faith. Now we're going to see some miracles that God did through faith. Look at it. Verse 33. Who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the, the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now, we don't have their names, but we know, based on the Old Testament, probably who he's talking about here. Okay, conquered kingdoms, well, that's most likely David and Solomon. I mean, they, they weren't, you know, super great, but they had faith in God, and God used them. What it says here, shut the mouth of lions. You go, well, that's most likely going to be Daniel, right? I mean, you remember the story of Daniel. Daniel, when he was just a teenager, was taken captivity into Babylon. But God had blessed him with a a great intellect, and so he became one of the advisors to the king, one of the chief advisors to the king. And so the other advisors were jealous of Daniel, and so they came up with a plan. I don't know what you do. The only thing about David, I mean, about Daniel is that he, he always prays three times a day. Let's make a law saying it's against the law for one month to pray to any God except to the king himself. And if he does pray, he's going to be thrown into the lion's den. Well, well, Daniel, he knew the law. He heard the law, but he said, I'm not going to back down. I believe that I need to pray as I always have to my God. And so he does that. He gets arrested. He's thrown in the lion's den one night. And the very next morning, what happens? They pull Daniel out and he doesn't have a scratch on him. That's the power of God of deliverance by faith of Daniel. But it continues. Who else? Well, it says, you quench the flames. Well, who's that about? Well, most likely that is the the three amigos, Hebrew amigos. You know, you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember this story? You have Nebuchadnezzar sets up this golden image, and he tells everybody to bow down to it. And if you don't bow down to it, then you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Well, these guys say, you know what? We're not bowing down to your faults, God. In fact, they make one of the greatest declarations of faith anywhere in the Bible. Look at it. It's found in Daniel chapter 3, verse 17. They say to the king Nebuchadnezzar, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you set up. Now, that's an incredible statement of faith. Did you catch it? They said this. We believe that our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. But even if he does not, we're still not bound down. Our faith is secure in Yahweh, almighty God. We're not bound down to your false image. And so you know what happened. The king was just furious, had them thrown into the fiery furnace. And as he's looking in there, he sees some movement. He's expecting screams, right? And what does he see? He sees people moving around. He says, hey, didn't we throw three men in? 
I see a fourth man, and he looks like the son of God. And then what happened? They came out, and the only thing that burned on them were the ropes that bind them, right? How did that happen? It all happened through faith. That's how. Well, what else did it say? It says, okay, it says that some of these heroes escaped the edge of the sword. This is most likely talking in 1 Kings about the prophet Elijah. You had the wicked queen Jezebel who hated him, said, I'm going to have his head cut off this afternoon. By this evening, he's going to be dead. Well, we know what happened. Well, Elijah, he was um, taking him to heaven, and his head was firmly attached to his shoulders. Everything was fine, right? It happened by faith. It said these women received their sons back through how? Resurrection. We find out in First and Second Kings that you had these two women, the widow of Zarephath and the Shulamite woman. Their sons had died, but they believed the word of God of the prophets, and their sons came back to life. What do all these folks have in common? They all experienced a deliverance from death. How? By faith. They overcame lions and fire and sickness and the sword. God delivered them. How? Through faith. Now, that's a very important principle. You need to know that if you want God to work in your life, faith is the means by which God works. In fact, Jesus talked about faith a great deal. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 17, 20. He said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. That's a crazy promise, isn't it? And yet Jesus said that. See, I believe that some of you right now are facing something impossible. You go, what? Whatever just came to your mind, right? That thing. And guess what? Through faith, God says, Jesus says, if you just have this, the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say that mountain be removed and it will be gone. You go, well, how, how can that be? Because, look, just a small little bit of faith, a mustard seed size of faith placed into a big, big God is enough. doesn't matter the amount of faith. It's who the faith is in. It's got to be in Yahweh God. Now, again, over and over again, Jesus in his ministry, when he would work miracle after miracle, he would say, it was done to you because of your faith. Look at it. Matthew chapter 9, verse 29. Jesus said, according to your faith, it will be done for you. And so faith is critical. It is necessary. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. We've already studied that already. Now, let me quickly add that I'm not saying that miracles are inevitable with faith. But I am saying this, that miracles are impossible without faith. You see the difference? Okay? And so faith is critical. If you're going to experience the miracles, the work of God, you've got to learn to trust in God and rely on him through faith. That's how God blesses. That's how God delivers, all right? But then let's quickly learn a third lesson from this passage. Jot this down. Faith doesn't shield us from suffering. Just because you have faith doesn't mean you are now shielded from the suffering of this life. I recently read a story about a pastor who hosted a um, men's breakfast one Saturday morning in a farming community. And as they were getting started, he turned to one of the old farmers and he said, hey, could you open us up in prayer? And the old farmer starts to pray like this. He says, Lord, you know I hate buttermilk. And the pastor opens one eye, what's going on? And then the farmer continues, and I can't stand the taste of lard. Pastor opens both eyes. And then he continues and says, I really don't care for the taste of flour either. And the pastor's thinking he's going to have to intervene. But then he continues. He says, but Lord, when you mix them all together and bake them up, they sure do make some delicious tasting biscuits. 
And so, Lord, I know there's times when I feel like I'm in your mixing bowl and I don't understand what's going on and I'm getting all stirred up and I don't like it. But, God, I'm just going to have to wait on you and I believe you're going to make something more delicious in my life than these biscuits today. Amen. (laughs) It's true, isn't it? You know, some of you right now, you feel like you're in the bottom of God's mixing bowl and you're just getting stirred up. And I'm telling you, have faith. Don't give up. Don't think that, oh, my goodness, I, I, I must be something's wrong because I'm going through suffering. No, you need to understand, faith does not keep us from the brokenness and suffering of this life, folks. It, it's part, we all have to walk through it. And so what we see next in our passage is how people suffered even though they had faith. Check it out. Look at verse 36. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They they went about in skins and sheep and goats and destitute, afflicted and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in the deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Now, we don't have who these folks are that he's referring to, but again, we know the Old Testament. We can understand some of them. We know that Jeremiah was thrown into a pit because he kept speaking the word of God. It's not found in the Bible, but in the Jewish Talmud, we find out that the prophet Isaiah was hated by King Manasseh. He was running from the king. The prophet Isaiah hid himself in a hollow tree, and the king found out about it and commanded a woodsman to cut the tree and the prophet in two. We know in the New Testament, they got John the Baptist and James, the the son of Zebedee, Jesus' disciples. They were both beheaded. They both had faith, and yet they suffered. Just because we have faith does not mean we don't go through seasons of suffering. Now, let me remind you, there is a false gospel that exists in America. It's the health and wealth gospel. And it basically says that, you know what, if you got enough faith, God will always heal, God will always deliver, God will always work. You know what, if you just got enough faith, it's always going to turn out for you. Now, can I just tell you, that sells in America, but that doesn't sell in the rest of the world. Why? Because we're so consumer-driven, we think that that's the kind of God we want to create, that God will just give us whatever we want all the time. But you try to sell that bill of goods to the Middle East or North Korea or China right now where Christians are being persecuted, see, they know that's not real, it's not true. Why? Because there are times in our life when we're faithfully loving the Lord and serving the Lord and we're going through difficult heartache in our lives. Now, I know that most of you here don't believe the prosperity gospel, but I think a lot of us may fall prey to a little part of it. I've seen this scenario happen dozens of times where somebody's in the hospital, maybe it's a child or a loved one, and, and, you know, it doesn't look good. The doctors are saying, okay, it looks like it's death. And so they were like, okay, we're going to pray and we're going to believe and we're going to believe that God's going to deliver and, and I'll often say, amen, I'll join with you and I'm going to pray with you about that, right? And then I'll say, but you know, sometimes God will bring healing through death and it may not be deliverance the way you're praying. And they're going, no, 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 God's giving me a word, God's giving me a promise, I really believe, I'm going to believe in faith and God's going to come through, I really believe he's going to come through and then what happens? You know, the, the person dies and they're like, God let us down. God wasn't true. God wasn't faithful like we, we say he is. And, I, and I'm like, no, you're putting words in God's mouth. God didn't give you a promise. And they go through this spiritual meltdown. And why? Because they fall prey to one of these myths. And, and the fact is, is that, listen, the example we follow needs to be Jesus Christ. Remember how Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? 
I mean, nobody gets an ear of God more than Jesus does, right? So what does Jesus do? Jesus is praying desperately before the Lord. And what does he say? He says, Abba, Father. That means you remember the intimate relationship you have with Almighty God. He is your Father and he loves you. Abba, Father. And then what does he say? All things are possible with you. You got to believe by faith that God can do anything and he can. Guess what? And then what does Jesus do? He asks, please allow this cup to pass from me. But then his final part was, not my will, but your will be done. That's the proper model of faith, folks. And whenever we pray that way, believing that way, trusting that way, guess what? We may not get what we want, but we know God's presence is with us. You see, you need to know something. That whenever God doesn't come through the way you think he's going to come through, you need to understand that you need to trust in God anyway. The false gospel is it turns God into a genie in the bottle and you just got to rub on it by faith. That is a lie. You trust in God even in the difficult times, even when he doesn't answer your prayer because it's going to be your faith that's going to carry you through the dark nights of the soul. What's going to carry you forward when the cancer's not in remission? When the family doesn't come back together, when the spouse doesn't return, when you don't get that job, what are you going to do then? It's only going to be your faith in Jesus that's going to carry you forward. And so you need to know, by faith, just because we live by faith, doesn't mean we don't go through sufferings. We will. It's promised to us, okay? But there's a fourth principle that we need to learn, and this is how we move forward by faith. Faith endures the present pain. How? Waiting for the future glory. Faith endures the present pain by looking for the future glory. Look how it's written in verse 39. And all these, though commended, through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You go, what's he talking about? He's talking about all these people in Hebrews 11, all the way from, from Noah and Abraham and Moses and David and Rahab, all of them, they all believed God. They all walked forward with God. They received promises, but they did not receive the promise. You go, what's the promise? Well, it is the promise of the coming of the Messiah. You see, God made hundreds of promises that he was going to send a deliverer that was going to destroy Satan and sin and deliver us from that. And they lived waiting in anticipation, looking forward to that future Messiah. And guess what? They... They died before it happened. But here's the good news. Jesus did come just as the Bible predicted. Now you and I, we live on this side of the cross. And we can look back historically and go, there really was a man named Jesus. He really did work all these miracles. He really was crucified. He really did rise from the dead. Everything God predicted came true in Jesus Christ. And so now we have more advantage than they did. We can see that God fulfilled all those prophecies. But what do we got to do? We got to still walk by faith as well. Why? Because now you and I, we're waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I got good news for you. If God fulfilled the promises for the first coming, guess what? He's going to fulfill the promises for the second coming. And so Jesus is coming again. And through the difficulties of life, we got to hang on to that promise. In fact, look what it says. Verse 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. They refused to let go and quit. They kept walking forward in faith. Why? Because they knew they had a future glory ahead of them. And it's the same way with you and I. You know, have you ever thought about which generation of Christians have experienced the greatest persecution? 
I mean, most of us, you think, okay, which generation experienced the most Christian martyrs in, in human history? And a lot of people, they'd say, well, it's probably the first and second century. I mean, Christianity was early on, and, and you know, there was intense persecution by the Roman Empire. Yeah, there was intense persecution. There was. But you know what generation has the most Christian martyrs? It's this generation. Did you know that recently it was reported to the UN that over 100,000 Christians are being murdered, killed for their faith every year? 100,000. What does that mean? That means in the time of the service we're in here today, 11 Christians were killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. That happens every hour, every day, every week, every year. 100,000 Christians give their life. And many times what happens is they're given a choice. They say, they say to them, you curse Christ and you live. Renounce Christ, you live. Or if you confess Christ as your Lord, you will die. But what do they decide to do? Look at it, verse 35. This is what we're going to hang on to. But they refuse to accept release. Why? So that they might rise again to a better life. Most of you probably remember this, this scene in 2015. ISIS was in Libya, had captured um, 21 Egyptians, held them captive, tortured them, put them, lined them up on that beach, and it was done live on the internet, said, okay, we're going to kill you. If you reject Christ, we'll spare you. If you confess Christ, we're cutting your throat. Each man, one at a time, was given that choice. Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, slash, 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 done on live television. Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. Why? Because, look, verse 35, they refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. But one story that you may not have heard about that was that one of those men were not a follower of Jesus Christ. And he was the last one. And they said, you are given a choice. You can reject Christ and live, or if you confess Christ, you'll die. And he said, I've seen the way my brethren have died for Jesus. Their God is my God. Jesus is Lord. Lost his life. Why? Because they knew they refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Folks, you are the same way. We go through seasons of suffering. This world will beat you up and tear you up and it'll discourage you. And the only thing's gonna keep you going is just as surely as God fulfilled all the promises for the first coming of Christ, he's fulfilling all those promises for the second coming and I will persevere to the end believing that I've got a better life coming for me. The Bible says this, Paul says this. It's like a comparison. He says our present sufferings are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us in Christ Jesus. God has a future glory for you that will far outshine any kind of suffering and difficulty you have. So press on in faith in Jesus Christ. How? By communing with Christ in faith. Don't let go. Keep pressing on. We're going to do that today by taking communion. Hopefully most of you, whenever you came in, you receive the elements of communion. You can take them out now. And in communion, you have bread, which um, represents Jesus' body that was broken for us. And then you have the juice, and the juice symbolizes Jesus' blood that was shed for us. We're going to take communion today.
And we're going to pray that God communes with us, even in the moment of whatever we're walking through right now. But before we take communion, I always ask you, I always give you a time to examine yourself. The Bible says that before we take communion, we should always examine our heart. And so I'm going to give you a time to just pray and get before the Lord and just say, God, would you reveal any sin I need to confess, any lies I've believed, or whatever it may be. Just bring those to the Lord. Or, Or maybe you're here, and you know what? During this time of prayer, you may be here and you're like, you know what? I just feel so weak. God can never use anybody like me. Maybe you just need to hear the Lord say, no, I specialize in doing the extraordinary through the ordinary. Or maybe you're here and you're like, man, my faith just seems so weak. Just pray, Lord, would you just please grow my faith? I just need a mustard seed of faith to trust in you. Or maybe you're here and you're walking through suffering and you're like, God, I just need to, I need to see your perspective. Help me see glory the way you see glory right now. So whatever it is that God is working in your life, I just want you to prepare yourself to commune with the Lord. So bow your head right now. Let, let's pray. Lord, you're here and we trust you. And we need you. Lord, we're broken. This world is broken. And we can't keep moving forward without you. So, God, we really do want to commune with you today. Will you please speak to our hearts and change our lives and grow our faith in you even now? With your head bowed and eye closed, allow the Lord to speak to your heart right now. confession. Thank you for cleansing us. Now meet with us. Commune with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night before Jesus' crucifixion, he met with his disciples in the upper room and they celebrated Passover. And Jesus took the bread of Passover and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Now by faith, take and eat in remembrance of Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you that you gave your body to be broken, your perfect body to be beaten and bruised and crucified so that we could be made whole. God, we are weak in our body. So Jesus, as we've taken you in us, Fill us with your spirit, empower us when we're weak, that we may experience your strength in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And then he took the cup from the meal, and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, shed for the forgiveness of sins. By faith, take and drink in remembrance of Christ. Again, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for shedding your blood for our sins. Lord, we know in the word that life is in the blood. And so, Lord, we need your life. 
And so as by faith we've received you in us, Lord, would you fill us with your life, your spirit, your joy, your power, your goodness, your holiness, your perseverance, your peace. God, we need that today. Thank you, Lord, for communing with us. Now, Lord, we choose to commune with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.